Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Sportsnet 650 studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Basketball Ben, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. And A-Dog, Andy Cole, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Uh, We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, It is Wednesday. We are very excited to bring another show to all of you listeners out there in listener land. What's happening on the show, you might be asking, well... 6.30, 6.30, we're going to get it started with the guests right away on the program. Lucas Weiss from The Athletic, news editor and tennis writer from The Athletic is going to join us to break down everything that happened at the U.S. Open last night. Well, Ben and I had that conversation yesterday, mm-hmm. and which is part of the reason we're talking to Lucas today. Where does tennis go from here with Serena um, having her swan song at the U.S. Open um, with... Nadal and Federer and Djokovic not gone but getting older um less effective Nadal was upset at this current US Open so where does tennis go from here is it going to be entering uh into like a post Tiger Woods era like golf has done mm. uh or uh like who are the next superstars if any in the game and I brought up last night at the Open because two of the biggest remaining stories in the tournament they're gone. <laughs> right. Coco Goff on the women's side, gone. Nick Kyrgios on the men's side, gone. So what was left of and the he, U.S. He, Open? And Kyrgios went out with his his, his usual uh, humility and uh, calm nature. No, no, just kidding. He smashed his racket. But he did go five sets with Karen, no less. Five sets with Karen. So we'll talk to Lucas Weiss at 6.30 about that. 7 o'clock, Chris Faber, Canucks Army, formerly a Sportsnet 650. He was at... The Patrick Alvine presser yesterday. We'll get his thoughts on everything Alvine had to say about the JT Miller contract. We can get his thoughts on everything JT Miller had to say about the JT Miller contract. We can also ask him about maybe some of the players that are slowly starting to trickle into Vancouver. We can also ask him about uh, what players, what prospects in the development pool will be participating in the Young Stars Tournament in Penticton. Why that, you might ask. Well, at 7.30, a familiar name to Canucks fans. Jonathan Wall, formerly the Canucks Director of Hockey Ops, no longer with the team, yet still affiliated. Director the... of Hockey Analytics. He wasn't the Director of Hockey Operations. Uh, that was what? the that was what they had an elite prospect, a Director of Hockey Operations. Uh, well, he I don't th- he was he was okay maybe maybe yeah yeah, yeah so okay. he's also now serving as the chair of the Young Stars Tournament up in Penticton. He's now a real estate agent up in the Okanagan. So we'll talk to John about this tournament. Maybe we can pitch him our idea for how we can make the Young Stars a big, exciting uh, event with with tailgating Mm -hmm. and fans coming in from across the country. Like the the fire festival for hockey. Basically. Here's your cheese sandwich. Please (laughs) sleep in that tent outside. The game starts at 9 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Joe Fan, our good buddy from BetGM, is going to join us. I bet Wynn, sorry, is going to join us. Uh, We'll talk to him about the NFL season, which is now just two days away. Kicks off on Thursday night between the Rams 
and the Bills. We'll go around the league as we go into week one. We're not talking to Joe about the NFL. We're talking to Joe about the Seattle Mariners. He's a huge Mariners mm, fan. We can also talk to Joe about the Mariners. That'll be good as well. So the Mariners and Jays, as they look at their playoff chases. Uh, Jays losing last night, by the way, uh, to the Orioles, so not able to sweep that series. But that's what's coming up today. They do have a chance to clinch that series with the win over the O's. Uh, Champions League. We had some very big news from European football this morning. Champions League, you got Rangers and Ajax, Liverpool and Napoli, Bayern and Inter. Thomas Tuchel, the manager of Chelsea, who won the Champions League, not last year, but the year prior, sacked. The gaffer was sacked this morning Gonzo. by Chelsea. So he's out. And, of course, we got the U.S. Open quarterfinals. You don't lose to uh, Dinamo Zagreb. That was the la- it was a straw <laughs> that broke the camel's back. Is that a Chelsea. Croatian club? It is. Okay. Very well done. Yeah that, yeah, that was a big loss for Chelsea yesterday because it, uh, it cost them their manager. So he's gone now. How many countries have Dinamo teams? Um, Dinamo Moscow. Okay. Dinamo Zagreb. Yeah. Anyone else? What? Anyone else? What does Dinamo mean? Dinamo, Dinamo, New Jersey. Dinamo, New Jersey. Dinamo, yeah. NJ. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's one for sure. Um, I don't. Know. Let's look that up. Someone look that up. I know Let's, it's Dinamo. But can we say Dynamo? It just sounds so much cooler. There's Houston Dynamo in MLS. Uh, I don't think that same. counts. Imagine if Dinamo was just European for Dynamo. That would be very MLS though to be like Dinamo Houston. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. Joking, yeah. I think yeah. that might be the was that origin the idea of it? of it. Well, there's Real Salt Lake. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's real Salt Lake. It's not. It's fake Salt Lake, but Real <laughs> Salt Lake. Okay, so to recap what's happening on the show today 8 o'clock, Joe Fan, 7 30, John Wall, 7 o'clock, Chris Faber, 6 30, Lucas Weiss. Uh, that's the lineup. That's what's happening. Boys, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. So kudos to everybody involved with the JT Miller contract extension. We've managed to turn this into a five-day event. Contract signed on Friday afternoon. Tuesday, out at Scotia Barn. Patrick Alvine was talking about it. JT Miller met on a Zoom. So we got a lot of legs out of this one. And we'll start with JT Miller. I love what you wrote in the notes. The very first thing upon hearing JT Miller speak to the media, you said, I thought he was super thoughtful and humble in his availability. That was my takeaway as well. It seemed like a pretty emotional moment for the guy, and it didn't I, seem put on. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to uh, JT Miller. Patrick Alvin also spoke uh, yesterday, and he was Johnny Tight Lips. Sure right? Like, we did not get much from Patrick Alvin, but I thought that JT Miller was um, just... He, he, there's a lot of great things about this availability and, and and you you come to understand why he's really been a hit with the fan base and apparently a hit with his teammates um and why the Canucks made this commitment um I I I said yesterday that I probably wouldn't have gone that direction but I understand it based on the player and based on the person um Humility is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I like players that are confident, but also um, mindful enough to know that there are things that they need to work on. And there are two things that JT Miller identified. One was his defensive play, and one was not limiting his emotions or not 
not not he's not like I'm, I want to act like a robot, right? Like sure. he 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 says like I'm an emotional person and I'm always going to be la- that way, but he knows that he needs to focus those emotions maybe a little bit better. Um, so let's let's play a few clips from JT Miller's uh, availability because I I just really really think that it was uh it was a good availability and i know this is a very media thing to do like oh he was great in the press conference (laughs) or whatever like that's a very media thing to do but i just think that it was it was it was real you could tell that he wasn't just going through the emotions or going through the motions um about his emotions yeah um let's start with the defensive play stuff because this is actually something we spoke about yesterday uh, we were talking about how JT Miller's defensive game could use some improving. Um, and for the Canucks to be a Stanley Cup contender, they're going to need one of their centers, whoever it is, to be a real two-way ace, like a Selkie Trophy type player. Sure. And I said the best the best candidate right now, it looks like Elias Pettersson. But JT Miller obviously wants to be one of those type players. And here's what he said about that. You know, I, I think there's always room for improvement on, in, in your game. But, you know, I think I'd like to give up less to get more. Um, I look at some of my favorite players around the league and they, they play in their own end first and 200 foot all the time and very hard to play against. And I think I want to, you know, kind of excel to that level uh, in my own end, be equally as hard to play against in my own end as I am on the offensive end. And I don't feel like it is right now. So I mean, that's something I'm really going to be working for. And um, you know, team defense is so important, like we just talked about. And I think if I can add that to my game and then once we get it in the offensive zone, you know, just play and you know, do what comes natural for me is really going to help. So it's a big focus of mine going into the season. And I think any emotional player will tell you that brings the absolute best out of them. But uh, also, you know, make you look bad sometimes and be a negative influence for the ones around you. And, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve and that could be good sometimes. And sometimes it could be emotional and um, high volatility and, you know, that's not really what you want. You want to be even keel, but you know, sometimes I feel like that's harder for me to do because I play with so much emotion and, and passion and, um, it's something I'm always, always wary of and can prove and improve on as well. So two things he identified there, his defensive play and channeling his emotions a little bit better mm-hmm. while also not losing the player that he is. And I'm talking about the emotions part there, uh, defensively, the Canucks need him to be better. He is in every situation for the Canucks. Um, the power play, we don't have to worry about him on the power play. He's excellent on the power play. He's a great puck distributor. He's a great playmaker. He piled up a bunch of points on the power play last season, and he'll probably pile up some more points on the power play this season because of his play and also the weapons that the Canucks have on the power play. Penalty killing, they're probably going to need him again. Mm-hmm. Five on five, they're going to need him again. And actually, it was interesting that Patrick Alvine, one of the few interesting things that Patrick <laughs> Alvine said yesterday was that they got to get JT Miller's minutes down. Yeah, I, I that stuck out for me as Th- well. This is a real um, throwback to Ryan Kessler when they were playing the heck out of Ryan Kessler. Sure. And people were wondering if it was too much. And remember I asked Ryan Kessler in Sochi? Yeah. I was like, uh, I was like people in Vancouver – say that you're playing too many minutes and he, and he was like, people in Vancouver say a lot of things. No, I mean, it, it's worth pointing it out. I think it's, 
at sometimes a little too easy just to harken back to previous Canucks and then try and cast the comparison to the current crew. Mm-hmm. But I think the Miller one is probably pretty apt. Again, the American thing, the bit of the surly attitude, I get all that. But um, sort of like conceptually moving forward, there was a cautionary tale with Kessler, Kessler which is you can't play the wheels off a guy yeah. that plays that particular style. The body just won't hold up. I think that's a very important and relevant conversation to have after signing JT Miller to a seven-year deal. Like You are going to have to put it this way. The, the aging curve is real, and the effects that a long career have on the body are real. There are certain steps that you can take as an organization to mitigate some of that. Yeah. Right? Don't blow the wheels off them the first three years of the contract. Maybe try and here and there take a more holistic approach to rest and reducing minutes. It makes sense. What did you think about his comments about his emotions in that he's always going to be an emotional player, but um, he, he had a quote that wasn't in that clip, but there's another clip that we could play. Yeah, Ben's got it up um, ready right now. Why yeah, don't why, why, don't we listen to, why don't we listen to this? Because he, he went on to talk more about um, his emotional play and how maybe he needs to refine that a little bit. Uh, at some point, you mature to a certain level, and I think that that you know hopefully keeps getting better and better as the older I get. But uh, obviously, the role I have in Vancouver and the position I'm in, I think that, uh, like I always say, that you can you know the best voice carries you know by your play, and you know if you play well, I mean it's it's the best way to lead. So uh, try to worry about that. But I think at the same time, I'm a like we always talk about, I'm a talkative guy, and I uh, you know I enjoy that part of sports and something I'm trying to get better at every year. So, yeah, when you ask, what did I think about it? Um, it's funny because one of the things I was contemplating was if you're JT Miller and you've come to Vancouver and played the way that you've played, and that's both like production wise and the warts and all, right? Like the things that he needs to work on, but also the very demonstrative moments of frustration where it boils over and there's the loud cursing and the stick smashing and everything. The Canucks rewarded all of it. Like the package, right? I mean, a lot of the quotes, and we talked about this yesterday, were of the, we couldn't really let him go. He was our best player. He was our, he was our leader. He was, as some people said, like the, the heartbeat and pulse of the team. And I think sometimes he's given that just because he's demonstrative in his personality and his frustrations. I think other guys are probably just as driven and want to win just as much. Yeah. They just don't have the sort of, and I hate using the term flair, but he does have a flair for the dramatic when he's out there. So I'll be curious to see if this is something that he says, I, I'm going to quote unquote work on. Mm-hmm. But then when he gets back out on the ice, it's like, I'm going to do the things that make, and now JT Miller's talking in the third person. I'm going to do the things that make JT Miller the JT Miller that got a $56 million contract. I, I think it's really tough um, if you're that type of player that has had that success playing that way and playing emotionally and having the odd outburst both publicly on the ice and probably behind the scenes as well, maybe rubbing some guys the wrong way behind the scenes. Um, maybe, um, probably based on what we've heard and and what he said. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just based on some of the, the other players around the league that we've heard Nathan McKinnon does that. Like it's, it's no surprise that these driven athletes, you know, full of competitiveness and testosterone and yep. I don't know, Red Bull, whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's no surprise that occasionally they, they lash out behind the scenes, especially the way the Canucks started the season last year. Right. And the I don't doubt there was a lot of lashing. I don't doubt. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. 
it's always tough as a player to go, well, I had success that way. I was the best player on the team, according to my coach and my general manager. Sure. Do I need to change that? Uh, and, and I think you do. Like, I don't think, I think the worst attitude to have is to say, well, that's the way I am. And that's the way I'll always be full stop. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're not constantly evolving as a player and trying to think of ways to improve, then you're going to stagnate. And that's what I really, really liked about JT Miller's availability yesterday. Just like that, he signed his contract. Like he's done. He, he's made his money. He's 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 and he and he's still about. I got to improve my defensive play. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got to maybe refine how I show my emotions both on the ice and behind the scenes. Um, one other clip that really stood out to me. And I hope this is true, and I hope this pays dividends for the Canucks, is when JT Miller was talking about how the Canucks have turned into a really tight-knit group. And one of the reasons that he wanted to be that back in Vancouver was the group of guys. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily the mo- just the money, the commitment. It wasn't necessarily that his family liked the city. Yeah. It wasn't that he wanted to move he didn't want to move his stuff. Like he found a place to live and he's like, ah, it seems like a hassle to go somewhere else. It was like he liked the group of guys. Can we play that 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 clip now, uh, Ben? Well, I just come, think we've come a long way and you know, I think we've gotten a tighter knit uh, as I've been here. It's going to be my fourth year here already. And, you know, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces too, but you know, this, this group really enjoys each other's time. Like we, we like each other. It's a, it's just a fun group. Um, we, when we, you know, when we won last year a lot, when Bruce got there, we had a lot of fun and I think we want to do more and winning in the regular season is great, but that's not why we, why we play. And I think that if we can, you know, we want to get back to the playoffs and we want to win when it counts. Cause I think we're just going to, you know, for a lot of guys that haven't played, you know, a playoff building and a playoff series in front of fans, it's, it's a different beast. And I think that it's a contagious thing. And that's, what's so exciting about it. Yeah. Is I think the best yet to come. This core group still has not played those playoff games in front of fans, mm-hmm. right? Their only experience in the playoffs has been in the bubble in Edmonton in that sterile environment that, Frankly, a lot of the veteran teams were kind of checked out on and didn't have much interest in participating in anyway because they knew what they were missing out on. Now, the Canucks found something good in the bubble, and um, I'm not saying that was a bad thing or they were wrong to be excited about having success in the bubble, right? Like Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup in the, in, in the bubble. That was that was good for them. They'll take it, right? Um, but I think for JT Miller to say that, um, it was, it was great. Like it was, I, I again, I, I can, it, it was just, it was, it was only words and mm-hmm. they have to follow through on that. Well, okay. That the group th- has yeah. to follow through on that because, um, there's a lot of people that still doubt this team and there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team to start well and to avoid digging that big hole. Like you mentioned the white caps. Um, they had that feel-good story where under Vanny Sartini, they actually did make the playoffs. And then the next year, I'm sure they went in with a bunch of optimism. Oh, yeah. And then the bottom fell out again, right? And they've been fighting back ever since, and they're probably not going to make it, right? It's the last thing the Canucks want. So 
it's great that, that JT Miller is saying all these positive things. Um, it's great that he recognizes uh, things that he needs to change in his game, improve on, um, but now they got to actually do it. Yeah, I, I, so for me, the interesting, the really interesting thing, and I'm not going to try and slant House of Negativity here, this is House of Reality. There's a really interesting dynamic within that forward group, and I'll just maybe use the, the common phrasing of like the alpha, who's going to be the alpha. Who's going to be the guy? Because right now, think about what's gone on over the last few months. Miller has been identified and praised by like coaches and management as being the team's best player last season. Rewarded thusly with um, the biggest contract among all the forwards. He's the highest paid forward on the team. He's the highest paid player on the team. There's not a longer financial commitment made on this roster than the one to JT Miller. He's the only guy signed until 2030 right now. So... That gives you a little bit of clout and cachet. It's like, we said he was our best player. We're giving him $56 million, and we're locking him until he's 37. You have the captain of the team, Bo Horvat, whose contract negotiation, and a couple of people have texted it in this morning, has been largely forgotten throughout this entire process because everyone was focused on Miller. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just assuming that Horvat will take some sort of hometown discount because it's like, well, Vancouver made you the captain. You like it here. Yeah. You seem like a hometown discount kind of guy. I need to knock a million bucks off that, and we'll call it a day. Then you have Pedersen. And Pedersen is the one that if you look further down the road, you would say he's probably got the potential to be the best of the three. And the highest paid player on the team. Because he doesn't because he hasn't reached his peak yet, you would assume. Mm -hmm. Right? So that that's why I think a lot of people were focused yesterday on asking Miller about his emotions and his leadership and his intensity and at times grumpiness and the, and the vibe inside the room yeah. because there is a weird sort of triangle there and I'm not sure how it's going to shape out, but those three are going to be pivotal moving forward. And don't forget, Horvat's the captain. Now, with regards to that, uh, Alvin did address this ever so briefly yesterday when meeting with the media because I think everyone acknowledged that on the off-season to-do checklist, the Canucks have taken care of Besser, they've taken care of Miller, now it's time to start figuring out the Horvat thing. Do we have the audio at the ready here, Ben? This is Patrick Alvine, Vancouver Connects general manager, talking about what's next for him and his executive group, and that's trying to strike a deal with the captain, Bo Horvat. Yeah, uh, Bo is our captain. Uh, we uh, respect and we like Bo, and uh, um, we're communicating with, with his camp, and um, we'll see if there is a deal to be made here. Are you going to have to make moves to make room for him, and is he somebody that you want to have long-term like JT? Well, uh, we don't have to make moves uh, coming into this season in order to uh, to uh, get both signed here. But uh, uh, moving forward, uh, we need to um, uh, be aware of the cap situation and uh, potentially um, uh, some roster decisions uh, coming into next summer. So it was interesting because, again, whenever Alvin speaks, you really have to kind of parse words and you don't want to um you don't want to twist what he's saying but you just want to try and take what limited information you're given and then work from there so there was another very small snippet that you had in the notes talking about uh, the cost of quote-unquote getting rid of contracts this summer was really high which would suggest one yeah they were trying to do it Mm -hmm. and two it was way more difficult than i think anyone envisioned it would be right and so that's why the question kind of came in as to well you're gonna have to move contracts to get horvat's deal done which 
They won't necessarily have to because there is going to be some cap relief moving forward. But I think the big the big question now moving forward with Horvat is what is that contract going to come in at? What cap hit is he going to come in at? Are you going to have Pedersen, who again only has two years left on his deal, Miller and Horvat all being north of seven million annually? If you are, that's great. But then you are really committed to those three guys is saying, if we believe we're a cup contender, those are the three guys over the next yeah. three years that are going to take us there. Now, is it feasible? Sure is. Is the competition steep when it comes to the trifecta of forwards? Yeah. Look at the team that just won the Stanley Cup. They're rolling with Landis Gog, they're rolling with McKinnon, and they're rolling with Rantanen. It's a good top three right there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the bar is at. And now they're rolling with Nachushkin as well. Yeah, right. So you can throw him in the mix. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, we are going to jump to the world of tennis. Uh, joining us next, Lucas Weiss. He is a news director with The Athletic. He's going to join us to talk about um, last night at the U.S. Open, the state of the U.S. Open, and then a larger picture conversation about the state of tennis right now. Kind of the, the goats are maybe on their way out. No Federer in this tournament. No Nadal now anymore after getting eliminated. No Djokovic. And the kind of big stories from this tournament, two of them were bounced last night in Coco Golf and Nick Kyrgios. So we'll talk to Lucas coming up on the other side. Before we go to break, I need to tell you the back-to-school deals on the latest phones. And I'm congrats to all the kids that went back to school for an hour yesterday. Guess what? It's a lot longer today. I asked the boy what he did yesterday, and he's like, we did some coloring. Awesome. That is terrific. I asked the girl, and she was like, uh, uh, t- uh, we talked about what we did on our summer vacation. So if you want to get the boy awesome. in, if you want did to get- you find out who's in your class? No. Did you find out who your teacher was? No. When fu- do you find that out? Friday. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. They went back for what an hour. What are you guys hour. doing? They went back for an hour to learn that everything important happens next week, basically. That's what we that my kid learned at school Cla- yesterday. Cla- Clara got earrings was, yeah. was an update I got. Uh, they have a new student from Ukraine in my in my son's class. Oh, so that okay. was the big development yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, then none of them are going to find out what class they're in until next week. Anyway, if you need to get any of these kids a phone, uh, latest phones, plans, and much more are on now at Fido. Visit them in store or at Fido.ca on the internet. we got to go to break. When we come back, Lucas Weiss to talk some tennis here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. On a Wednesday, happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, Before we get to Lucas Weiss to talk some tennis, Jason, I have the answer to our question at the beginning of this show. We were talking about how Chelsea had fired the gaffer, Thomas Tuchel, this morning, right. prior to us getting on the air, Okay, in the wake of their loss to Dinamo Zagreb, Okay, at which point we decided to explore the origins of the Dinamo name. Okay. So, this was a sport and fitness society that started in 1923 in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the Soviet Union then occupied uh, a large part of Eastern Europe, they started to put... They sa- did? They did. 
They started to put satellite clubs in a okay. lot of Eastern Bloc countries, mm-hmm. which is why you now have like Dinamo Zagreb, Dinamo Bucharest, Dresden Dinamo. So you get the idea, right? Dinamo Kiev. Yes, exactly. Now, the name is uh, from the Greek dynamis, okay. meaning power, and Latin motio, meaning motion. So okay. power and motion, Dinamo. There you have it. We should call them now Power and Motion Kiev. I think so. It's a great name. Anyway, I feel like we should have saved this for what we learned, but I was so excited Mm -hmm. to get this out there to listeners to prove that we actually do some research on the show. Now you know. And what does Real mean? Remember? Royal. Right. Yes. This is good. Royal Salt Lake. I can can really, yeah. If there's one word Ah. I associate with the crown jewel of Utah, it is Royal. The Queen of Utah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're going to switch gears now. We are going to talk some tennis. Joining us now. Associate Editor News at The Athletic. It is Lucas Weiss here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Lucas. How are you? I'm great, guys. I enjoyed that linguistics lesson. You, you not only listen to sports on your show, but also learn about uh, language. But uh, happy to be on. Yeah, happy to have you on. It's so I'll lay the groundwork here for the conversation we kind of want to have. Yesterday, uh, Jason, my co-host, and Ben, the producer here, were talking about the current state of tennis and how it's playing out in the U.S. Open, and specifically on the men's side, talking about Nadal dumped early out of this tournament, no Djokovic, no Federer. And then it was sort of like, well, what are we watching for? And both of them kind of acknowledged that, well, Nick Kyrgios was still a show, and that show ended last night. So uh, the the tournament now kind of takes on a very interesting role. But I want to focus first on last night, uh, the five-set loss for Kyrgios, Karen Kachanov. Uh, walk the listeners through it. I know that it was late. You know, I was watching it late into the evening. Uh, a pretty enticing and thrilling five-setter, but ultimately, Kyrgios goes home at the end of it in a bit of an upset. Certainly. I mean, Nick Kyrgios was the favorite after Nadal lost to Francis Tiafo, and as the men's court finals began, Nick Kyrgios was the favorite to win it all. And Karen Hachinov is a player that definitely flew under the radar. Not many people expected to beat Nick Kyrgios, but he did it. I mean, this is someone in Kachinov that was once number eight in the world, and this is such a big win for him to get to his first slam semifinal. Look, it was a compelling match. I mean, early on, there was worry about Kyrgios' leg and whether or not he was even going to continue, but he was able to battle through that. And it was a very close match, but ultimately it was Hachinov who came up with the big points. He got the early break in the fifth set against Kyrgios. Kyrgios tried to break Hachinov throughout the entire fifth set, but Hachinov just came up with some big points, huge serves, and was able to close out the victory. So the Kyrgios show no more at the U.S. Open. Of course, he was disappointed at, after the match. He said he was devastated by the result, but He's going to restart it back again at the Australian Open down under where he's from. So hopefully that newfound confidence for Kyrgios once the dust all settles from this year, making a slam final at Wimbledon, now the quarterfinal at the U.S. Open, he can find a way to compete and win one of these slams. Hey, Lucas, does Kyrgios uh, entertain you more or does he frustrate you more? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm entertained whenever Nick Kyrgios is on the tennis court. He's someone that, that draws me to the television whenever he's playing. Look, I mean, I think his act and, and what he brings for some can get a bit tired, and I completely understand that. But I think 
what I've noticed, especially this summer from from Nick, is he's focused. I I, I just think, look, you're, you're going to see him blow off some steam during the match with his team. That's par for the course. But I think what he said in his post-match press conferences throughout the U.S. Open, he doesn't want to let people down now. He felt like in the past in his career during matches that he would just give up and that he would just lose and he recognized that he was letting a lot of people down, not just people in his team, but also fans. Like, fans really like Nick Kyrgios. He got the loudest applause yesterday in Arthur Ashe Stadium when he plays because he is entertaining and he brings a different brand of tennis to the sport. So he definitely entertains me more, but I think we're seeing a new Nick Kyrgios, and hopefully he can continue that going forward. I hope so because, uh, you know, you, you're talking about him feeling that he's letting other people, he's letting himself down sometimes the way that his antics, I think, distract him from remaining focused in a match. I thought that happened against uh, Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. He just, or I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the way he needs to be in order to play. What is he yelling at his team anyway? That like, it's, it's, it's honestly sometimes it's entertaining. It's frustrating. It's also a bit confusing watching him play sometimes. It certainly is, and and certainly um, language that's not appropriate for the show, and, and it's certainly very colorful. But I think for Nick, you know, he used to blow off a lot of steam with the umpire, and that ultimately got him into some trouble. So I feel like now he's shifting it over <laughs> to his team, and, and, and you know, it, it's probably not. You know, it, it's certainly you know a bit bit interesting. But but look, I think what we saw yesterday, guys. It's just how hard it is to win these matches at slams this late in the tournament. We've been so used to Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, who have dominated for for years. It's so easy for them to win these big matches. But for these guys, they haven't won a slam. They haven't won one of these big tournaments yet. And it just shows you how hard it is to do so. And I think for Nick it's just hard closing out matches when you are considered the favorite. And I think he felt that yesterday, probably in moments of, this, of that match against Hachinov. I'm not about to say that the big three era is over, um, but we had the discussion yesterday on the show about where tennis will go after the big three is over. Uh, Serena on the women's side, um, you know, we all watched her, her play her final uh, match at the U.S. Open in a, in a Grand Slam, um, and it was great, and it was quite the send-off, and I saw the TV ratings were through the roof. But where is tennis going to go from here? Big question, uh, but I'll, I'll try to say this. I think tennis always finds a way to you know move forward, and, and, and there will be new stars in the game because we've seen that happen in the past. When you look at women's tennis, Chris Ebert, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, and when they left, people probably were asking the same questions. Like, who, 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 comes, who comes to fill the void? Well, it happened to be the Williams sisters and Serena and Venus. And then there were other players to come up as well. So it's, it's obviously fair to ask that question because, look, like you saw in the TV numbers, no one seems to move the needle like Serena Williams. Over 4 million people watched her match, her final professional match at the U.S. Open, and even the, the big three, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, also bring a lot of people to the sport. But I think there's a lot of younger guys now that, that, that are hungry, that are willing to fill that void. 
I think it's fascinating now that we're seeing American tennis, particularly the women's side in, in Coco Goff and maybe Francis Tiafo, someone on the men's side that can really, you know, use his big win over Nadal to continue that trajectory forward. And of course the Canadians. So I think there's a lot of fascinating storylines. I think we're going to have a few years of, of transition, if you will, of trying to figure out who the next star superstar is going to be. But I have no doubt that tennis will find that and, and, and will find you know a few players that, that will gladly take that mantle um, for, for being a superstar. Look, will they have the Federer, like, the career like a Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Serena? Maybe not. But I think tennis is still going to continue to grow, and they were a big part in providing that growth for the sport. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the American tennis side of things and Francis Tiafoe and Coco Goff. I want to get to that in a minute, but I do want to circle back to Kyrgios with regards to the, what you just brought up. Does he have the stuff to be the sort of next great? Because he's only 27, and if the big three are on their way out, you look at him and saying he may be playing the best tennis of his life right now and he could be ascending to even greater heights. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy that's never been higher than 13th in the world and has never won uh, one of the big tournaments. So where does Kyrgios fit on that spectrum of the next great ones? I think it depends, you know, what's in between the years for Nick Kyrgios. We know he had the game. We, we've seen it. We, we know he can provide the game. And look, he said himself that, that he can, you know, when he walks into the court, he feels like he can beat anyone. And, and look, when there's no big three, I think it's a very fair statement. And, and you saw him take care of business with world number one, Daniel Medvedev, at the U.S. Open. So he can beat top players. But it's just what is in between the years with Nick Kyrgios. But I do think that he is motivated to win one of these. And he has a good chance now that we're entering sort of a transitional period in men's tennis. And I hope so, because I think it'll show that, you know, despite all the antics, despite what, what he's brought to the game and, 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 how, and how polarized he's been, that he's been able to, to win one of these big tournaments. So we'll see. I mean, there's no guarantees in tennis, but, Nick Kyrgios certainly has the game uh, to compete at, at, at these big Grand Slams. Anytime that the U.S. Open happens, there's that hyper-focus on the American tennis players. And it's funny, I was watching the uh, Marty Fish documentary while I was on vacation, sure. and they were talking about him and Andy Roddick and their ascension and sort of the last really prominent male American tennis figures for, I mean, almost a decade, I would say. And it's been it's been a really interesting ride over the last little bit. And this is always the tournament where these players get vaulted into prominence. And what we're seeing right now with Francis Tifo, I know that you wrote about him. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more as he gets underway today in the quarterfinals at Arthur Ashe? Yeah, you know, Francis Tiafo is a great, you know, story, you know, born, um, you know, parents who, you know, who, who immigrated from Sierra Leone in the early 1990s. He, he of course, started playing tennis. Uh, because his father was a custodian at a, at a tennis center in, in College Park, Maryland. And, you know, for him, this is someone that had, you know, quite the junior career, but he made the, a, a quarterfinal at a, at a slam in 2019, but he knew that he needed to get better. He just knew that he needed to get fitter to compete with the best players. And that's what he did. He, he certainly did that. He, he didn't have a great 2020, but then he bounced back in 2021 where he recorded his first 
victory over a top five player, uh, Stefano Zizipat at Wimbledon. TFO is a guy that loves the big stage. He loves the bright light of New York, and, and, he, and he loves to get the crowd going. But you just saw against Rafa, TFO was the fresher player. He, he was younger. He, he moved better than Rafa, and, and he was just able to provide those big, explosive shots. So I think for TFO, when you have a big win against a guy like Nadell, he said it after the match. He wants to taste more of those moments beating big players. And I think he's inspired by what some of the un- other younger players are doing. And he's saying to himself, why not me? I can, I can do this. So I think for, for TFO, the sky's the limit for him and hopefully he can, can continue this run at the U.S. Open. Yeah, so the TFO match is today at 10.15 our time, if I'm not mistaken, quarterfinal uh, at the U.S. Open. Hey, Lucas, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. It's been fun getting caught up with you. Enjoy the remainder of the tournament, and uh, we'll do this again when the next major rolls around. Thanks, guys. Be well. You too. Thanks. That's Lucas Weiss, uh, Associate Director, News at The Athletic on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Associate Editor. What did I say? News. At the athletic, what did I say? You said associate director. So close, so close, so close, so close. You nearly got it but though. So I far. nearly got it. Yet so so far, uh, four words. One of them was incorrect. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff show, we're going to talk about this Young Stars tournament up in Penticton. Uh, it does go next week. Uh, the first game for the Canucks is Friday, September sixteenth, seven thirty against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, at the South Okanagan Events Center, again, in Penticton. Uh, we'll talk to Chris Faber at 7 o'clock about some of the players he'll be watching at that tournament, and also we'll just do a bit of a, kind of an Abbotsford Canucks preview sure. with Chris, just talk about how the roster looks right now, how it could look, uh, if there are any guys that could push for spots on, on the Canucks, um, which players he's going to be watching out for. And then at 7.30, uh, Jonathan Wall who used to work for the Canucks, but is still in charge of this tournament. And we want to talk to Jonathan about the potential for this tournament. Mm -hmm. Now, it's kind of been an off and on thing. And, you know, some years it's on and some years it's off. Obviously, the pandemic um, threw a major wrench into this tournament. Um, but we've talked about this before and whether or not it was feasible to turn this into something more than just a bunch of prospects playing some tournaments and you can go watch some hockey if you want to be in Penticton. Right. Now, to be fair, there are some additional things that are going on. Uh, on Thursday, there's a hockey talk with Cami Granado. On Sunday morning, there's a minor hockey skills clinic. On Sunday afternoon, there's... I don't know, in the press release, it calls it a party on the plaza. Woo! I don't know. That, I'm already excited. Yeah, like, I, I don't I love, know what that is. I love parties, and I love plazas. It's a party on the plaza. Uh, great. Will there be balloons? Hopefully. Will there be some clowns? Maybe. Maybe. Especially if Drance is there. Yep. Tie me a balloon, clown. Um, but could it turn into something more? Could it turn into something more than just... Um, like this is kind of like peak hockey nerddom. If you're going up and watching the young prospects, if you're going up the and hold, hold on, hold you know on. if you're mean? going like, up and watching the tournament for the tournament, uh, that is hockey yeah. nerd. What we're suggesting is maybe you go to the tournament 
not necessarily just to watch the tournament. That there's mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff going on, a festival, if you will. Well, and also kind of mixing with fans from Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I know they smell. <laughs> they're, they're, you know. The hygiene the, is questionable. The, the, yeah, the hygiene yeah. is very questionable, especially Winnipeg. Oh, my God. Uh, they don't have but, an airport, to be fair. I mean, there's, there's things they got to get caught up on. They, all, they yeah, did have to walk here. They did have to walk here. It was a long, here. long walk. I, I, I realize that, but I still think it, it, it would be fun. And I, I don't know if this is feasible. I, I, I really don't. But I want to talk to Jonathan Wall about this, about the potential that they see for this tournament and whether it could be something bigger. Like, honestly, like like a kickoff to the season. Like, oh, yeah, are you going to Penticton for the Young Stars? It'll be fun. Like, there's so many games, right? Are you really going to go? There's 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 six games in all. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are played at four o'clock. Some are at seven thirty. Even on Sunday, there's a two o'clock game. That actually, that's Vancouver and Winnipeg. Uh, there's a game on Monday at two thirty. Right? They, there's a bunch of games that you can go watch. But what about the times when you're not watching the game? Like maybe you maybe you're a Canucks fan and you don't really want to watch the prospects from Calgary or. Edmonton play each other. You like you don't care. Yeah. Um what could you do then? Could there be a giant beer garden? Could there be some, I don't know, musical acts, something that go that that happens at that tournament where you go up there and you make a weekend of it. Yeah. It's fun. Well, I think the the larger conversation about this, I mean, we're talking about a microcosmos. Could you have a fun weekend up in Penticton? The answer is probably yes. Um there is something to be said about the fan being a Canucks fan and the fan experience that at times it can be a little monotonous and repetitive mm-hmm. and tired. Like the, the, the experience exists with a schedule and we always talk about it, a routine that we always know, right? Uh, now it's the fall. The leaves are changing color. The yeah. kids are back at school and we're on the precipice of hockey, but it works the same way. Where's training camp going to be this year? Oh, it's going to be in Whistler this time. You go right. 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Guys do their, it, it becomes very repetitive and monotonous. We have seen things um, in very small scope, like that the Larshiders thing, for example. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, whether you like it or not is almost besides the point because it was something it was new. new and different and kind of intriguing in the sense that we're in this ever-changing landscape uh, on the media industry side of how do you present your content how do you share that content how do you make the content new and different from the standard stuff that we've seen for 20 or 30 years i think that applies everywhere i think the mixing with fans is, is i think is, that's a is, huge is, part is the thing that would be most appealing to me and i speak of this having been to gray cups for example and all the fan bases coming together and having it like having a good time you can have um some fun and obviously you know you're talking some trash or whatever with the, but you're also, you know, you're, you're enjoying yourself. I, I look at, uh, college football down South sure. and a lot of the games early in the season will be at a neutral site. Like LSU, the LSU Florida state game. I know New Orleans is in Louisiana, but it wasn't at LSU's home. It was at the Superdome in New Orleans. Right. So you had fans from Florida State travel to New Orleans, and obviously a lot of LSU fans already in New Orleans, but I'm sure a lot of them had to travel from um, other places in the state or mm-hmm. out of state. Like You see that all the time in college football. The fans travel to you know Cowboy Stadium for, for, a, for a big game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not saying that it's going to get to that potential, or I'm not even saying that it's getting to like Grey Cup potential, but I think that's something you could sell, especially at the beginning of the season where the weather is still good. Yeah, For so one of the questions that I'd love to ask uh, Jonathan Wall when we have him on at 7.30 is, could this be a place where uh, the Seattle Kraken eventually end up? Sure. and Because th- I mean, that would be a great Kick way. Winnipeg out. But, yeah, see it's Winnipeg. Just, it's, <laughs> it's a long it's walk. You better get started now. So smelly. But uh, I do think that there's something there because part of the reason, I think anyway, part of the reason that that rivalry and that intrigue between Seattle and Vancouver never took off had to do with the fact that this rivalry was launched in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, a lot of Canucks fans, if they wanted to go down to Seattle to see their team play, couldn't for a multitude of reasons, right? Travel was not easy. Crossing borders was not easy, right? So all these things, I would say a year into their existence, there's virtually nothing between Canucks fans and Kraken fans. There's no online, you know, tete-a-tete, back and forth, beef, beef, simmering rivalry. There's no, we invade your rink, you invade our rink. But, I mean, yeah. I think that any sort of step you can get, and again, it's, it is a return to normal. It'll be fun. Too, right? I think it'll be a be lot fun. of fun. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk to Jonathan Wall at 7.30. Coming up at 7 o'clock, it's going to be Chris Faber. So we're going Canucks heavy, prospects heavy, young stars heavy. And, of course, we'll, we'll focus back on what Patrick Alvin and JT Miller had to say yesterday during their media availabilities as well. Hour one is in the books. Hour two is coming up. Before we go, I need to tell you that Concerts West is presenting Pink Floyd's Roger Waters live on September 15th at Rogers Arena. You can get your tickets now at Roger Waters' own website, rogerwaters.com. Do it now. Don't change the dial. we got a whole other hour to go. It's the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.